God, we come before you uh, recognizing that you are uh, Father Almighty, you are the creator of heaven and earth, and that Jesus Christ uh, is your one and only Son, fully God and fully man, that in your great love you sent him to earth to come and to pursue us, to live the perfect life that, that we have certainly not lived, and to die a substitutionary death in our place, uh, to rise victorious from the grave, to put us into right relationship with you. God, we praise you for these truths. We ask that as we come now to open up your word, the Bible, that you would give us understanding. Um, God, we admit that in and of ourselves, God, we're, we're weak, we're broken, and we're needy, and uh, we're desperately um, in need of, of your help for one, understanding um, your word, uh, and then two, for responding to it in the way that that you would have us to respond, to respond rightly. We need your help even in that. And so, Father, we ask for your spirit to be at work, uh, making our minds attentive to your word, uh, giving us understanding of how Christ is the hero of this passage. Um, God, would you show us how deeply relevant um, this passage and these truths are to the things that we're facing in our lives right now? And God, would you, um, in light of your word, send us out of here uh, with transformed minds and transformed hearts to join you in your work of redemption and renewal um, in the world and in our neighborhood and uh, in one another's lives. We pray it for your glory. We pray it in Christ's beautiful name. Amen. So let me, uh, let me ask you this, uh, this question to, to ponder as we um, get ready to look at First um, Peter 2 and talk about this, uh, the mission of the church. Let me ask you this question. What words come to mind when you think of God? When you think of God, what words come to mind? I don't know if you've ever had to do, uh, do this portion of, a, of an interview or an application for a job when they ask you, like, what are the five adjectives that, subs- that describe you best? Anybody ever had to do that? And you're just like, this is a, such an awkward exercise. Like, genius? Like, like a, uh, unbelievably a try like what do you what do you want me to say like this is just weird like i feel like i feel like i'm i'm bragging no matter what i say it's a strange thing where you're trying to describe yourself but i think it's also a really telling question if we start to ask what words come to mind when you think of who god is now there's a lot of words that come to mind if we're, if we're looking um, in terms of the Bible and Christian tradition and scripture that, that are good, right, and appropriate. But there's one word that I think that we, that we leave out a lot. And by leaving that out, we miss out on understanding what God is really about in the world. And we really miss out on understanding how much purpose God is placing on our ordinary, regular lives. And that word that I think we miss out on, that kind of warps our view of God, his work in the world, and steals this this deep, deep cosmic purpose that God has for our lives, is the word missionary. That when we think of God, I'm going to contend that among the many attributes and the many descriptions of God that we ought to think of, one of the central ones we need to understand and see is that God is a missionary God. That God is is a God on a mission, that God is a God with a task, and that God is a missionary God. We're doing this series on the church because we're a new church, so it's great to understand what does the church look like according to this, the scriptures, and, and how do we play a part in that, and how does purpose um, be inf- become infused into our lives through understanding that. And uh, what we're looking at today is trying to understand what's the mission of the church. And by the church, biblically speaking, I don't mean a building. I mean just the collection of 
broken, ragtag, uh, sinful people that have received God's grace and are now in this awesome community where Jesus has redeemed us and Jesus is working in our lives and Jesus is uniting us together as a family under worshiping him, loving him, and loving our neighbors. That's what I mean by the church. Start trying to understand what's the church supposed to be about? What's the mission of the church? But in order to understand what the church is supposed to be about according to God, we have to rewind the tape and we have to understand what is God about? Before we can get the mission of the church, we have to understand what's the mission of God? What is he doing in history? What is he up to? What is God's mission? And here's what we start to see. When we understand that God is a missionary God, we begin to get a clearer picture of the mission that God is inviting all of us into. And we get a clearer picture of the purpose that God wants to place on our lives that transcends our skills, that transcends our education, that transcends our life stage, that transcends our abilities. And we get invited into God's cosmic work that he's doing throughout human history. So this is a big, big, big topic, and hopefully by God's grace, I can do a decent job and serve us well in this. Um, let me go ahead and read our text. We're looking at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. The apostle um, Peter, uh, one of Jesus' 12 boys, is uh, writing this letter. And in these uh, two verses, he gives uh, a brief description of the nature of the church, which we talked about uh, last week. He says this in uh, two, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, describing the nature of the church. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What we talked about last week, right? I don't know how many of you think of yourselves as priests and a holy nation, right? And a treasured possession, right? That's, those are not the adjectives I'm describing myself with on the job application thing, right? Um, but, but what we're going to see with that is what Peter is laying out there is he's saying uh, two things about the nature of the church that we talked about last week. He's saying two things. That the broken collection of people who are flawed, sinful, cut off from God, but who have received God's grace through Jesus, receiving it not by, uh, not by their religious devotion or their morality, but simply by God's mercy. Um, those people, there's two fundamental things about the church, that collection of people. One of the fundamental things is that they're God accepted. Uh, that's the idea of priests, that in the Old Testament, the, the people that had immediate access or closest to immediate access to God were the priests. But now Peter is saying, hey, all y'all are priests. All y'all got the collar now. All y'all got first class worship rights when it comes to God. Any, could, anybody can come to God through Jesus. Not just the priest who has been keeping all of these rituals for months and months and doing everything perfectly by the book. Peter says, no, the game has been changed by Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That anyone and everyone can be welcomed into God's family. So we're God accepted. The other thing about the nature of the church we looked at last week, that, and Peter says this when, he, when we says, um, 
people for his own possession. Um, Peter is laying out, and then that you were, uh, you were not a people, but now you are a people. Um, he, Peter is laying out that, that part of the nature of the church is that we're God accepted, but that we're also God possessed, that, that we're this treasured possession that God loves, that, that we're like this $10 million piece of jewelry that God has acquired, and he just delights over. And so that you understand that through Jesus, Despite your brokenness, despite your past, despite your struggles that you're in right now, through Jesus, God delights over you as if you were this perfect, fine, beautiful jewel that he loves to call his own. It's the nature of the church. And now we're looking at what is the mission of the church? Because Peter says this. Notice notice the, uh, the grammar here. He says, you're people for his own possession that you may do something. So we're accepted by God, we're possessed by God, God loves us, God treasures us, that we could enjoy him and all those things, and and he can enjoy us, but also that we would do some type of mission, we would engage in some type of activity, that we would fulfill some type of task, that we're called into some type of work. But before we can understand that, we've got to place the whole story and see what's God's mission. If we only understand the mission of the church, it's like only understanding the last act of a movie. Right? It's only like only understanding like, oh, in the last 45 minutes of Batman, Batman beats Joker. That's great. That's awesome. But if we understand Act 2 and Act 1, we understand their history. We understand their rivalry. We understand their background. And the depth of that defeat in Acts 3 now makes a lot more sense. Right? that lose you guys? Movies? Who's watching movies? Who's watching movies here? We're a movie-watching church, right? So, so that's, that's what we want to understand. So, so what is the mission of God? Um, God is a missionary God. And think of it like this. God has been seeking after humanity from the very beginning. That God has been seeking after humanity from the very beginning. This hopefully will, uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, for a while will refresh you in the story of the Bible. Because I'm going to do a very basic overview. And if you're new-ish to Christianity or exploring, this will hopefully be very helpful. Because it will give you kind of a, a rough lay of the, the biblical story. Um, from the beginning, God has been seeking after humanity. And I want to lay out kind of four um, marks of the biblical story um, that help us understand the mission of God. What God is up to in the world. The first mark is creation. First mark is creation. That God creates everything, therefore he rules everything. And what we see early in scripture is that humanity and God exist in perfect harmony as we were meant to. That humanity is described as walking with God. And that humanity is kind of like the, uh, the vice president cultivating, caring for God's creation in the earth. To the point that humanity is naming animals, um, setting things up, calling orcas orcas, whales whales or whatever. And, and, and just like reigning and ruling over God's creation, creating culture. Everything is great. And there's this deep, deep harmony and connection between humanity and God. And it's awesome. That lasts, everything is perfect. That lasts in the Bible for two chapters. Sadly, like so. So I don't know if you've ever done the pinch test. Um, everything is perfect in human history for. You see, where's twenty one? Nope, that's ten. Wow, the pinch test is hard. Okay, this is the perfect part of the Bible. This right here. Everything else means things are broken, right? So do you do you see this? Do you see everything is described as perfect in the Bible for about four pages? And then everything else is a mess, right? And, and here's, here's why this is relevant for you to understand. When things are perfect, is God having to seek after humanity? No, because we got perfect harmony with him. It's all good. 
We, we got full access. We're in his presence completely, right? But when everything is chaos, this is the whole part of mission. That God is on a mission for almost all of the biblical story, for almost all of redemptive history. Outside of the four chapters of the Bible where everything is perfect. So you have creation, everything is good. Then you have fall in Genesis 3. This is a a fall from perfect harmony with God into what is called a broken and sinful world where humanity goes. They throw kind of a a coup d'etat, a rebellion to move from from serving and loving God to saying, hey, we want to be our own God now. Thank you very much. And basically try to usurp his throne, overthrow him, throw a coup. And the result of that is that humanity gets exiled from the Garden of Eden, God's presence. Humanity gets a charge of condemnation before God. And humanity is spiritually cut off and alienated from God. So we get exiled. We're given the charge of condemned. And now we're alienated from God. Once you think of it like this, imagine a vice president throwing a mini revolt against a president, which happens in a lot of countries outside of uh, our, our country. Right. That would hurt the president on multiple levels. It would hurt. uh, It would damage them relationally. Somebody you trusted uh, betrayed you. But also there would be legal consequences for doing that. Similar to us with God, where we are uh, broken and alienated relationally, but we also now have this charge of condemned. That things with us and God are now fractured. And we have to understand that part of this story, this idea of the fall, this idea of brokenness, this idea of, of sin, is this means we no longer have a perfect harmony with God, which means we become fundamentally insecure people. And here's what I mean by this. When a perfect harmony with God is broken, we become the type of people who are looking for fulfillment and identity anywhere we can grab it. So when a perfect harmony and a perfect understanding, I'm loved by my creator and my creator loves me, and that's enough. When that's broken, we begin to look to any silly thing that we can to fulfill that lost security and that lost sense of belonging. So in a very real sense, so much of our chaos and brokenness in the world is a result, steps removed from our alienation from God. For example, when we become insecure by having this broken relationship with God, it makes sense to a certain degree that we would then try to look at others and gain security by saying, well, I'm a different skin color than you, therefore I'm better. I'm a different gender than you, therefore I'm better. I'm more religious-y than you, therefore I'm better. We're looking for any type of footing we can find to feel secure. And all of that, Christianity says, traces back from the fact that we just need to know that we're loved by God. That Christ overcomes that gap. Here's what we see happen um, in Genesis, just a few chapters after this fall, we see in chapter 4 the first uh, murder recorded in scriptures between two people, two brothers. And do you know why this murder happens between two brothers? It's because one of them offers a sacrifice to God that seems more appropriate and better than the other. So the other one is insecure, alienated from God. They get so angry, they murder their brother. It's the effects of being alienated from God being cut off from God. So one of the fundamental questions then of the Bible becomes this question, how can a broken humanity 
be restored back to God? How can this alienation between us and God that happens because of the fall, how can this be put back and put right? And here's where we start to see that God is a missionary God, that God's mission in the world in part, a major part of his mission, major part of the work he's doing is to restore a broken humanity back to himself. That though we've run away, part of God's mission is to sprint after us and bring us back home to himself. That God is so devoted to loving us and knowing us, he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He chases after us. So we have creation, we have fall, and then we have uh, good news, we have uh, redemption. That we see uh, in Genesis chapter 12, nine chapters after everything goes bad, God comes to this nomadic, random farmer named Abram, who we're later going to find out is a very uh, cowardly kind of chronic liar. Uh, we got any chronic liars here? Okay. You're the type of people that God loves to bless. Oh, good. You didn't raise your hand. You're lying again, right? Um, <laughs> you're the type of person God loves to bless because Abram just lies all the time. Remember the first time reading through Genesis? This guy keeps lying in the same way every chapter. I was like, what are you doing? But God comes to Abram. And he makes this promise. He says to him in Genesis 12, one of the most important sections in understanding the whole story of the Bible. He says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What God is saying to Abram is fulfilled in part through, uh, through the nation Israel, but is more fully fulfilled through Jesus. God is saying, I'm going to come after you. And do you remember how 1 Peter 2 says we're going to be God's people, the people for his own possession? That promise starts in Genesis 12. God is saying, I'm going to come after you. You're going to be my people again. I'm going to be with you again. I'm going to overcome this alienation. And through you, I'm going to extend the blessing of knowing me, not just to you, but to what? All the families of the earth, all the nations. All ethnicities, all backgrounds, all cultures are going to receive the blessing of knowing me through you, Abraham. Through you. So things are looking bright when this promise comes, except God's people, they get this promise and they start kind of turning to other gods. They start, uh, they, they, they start worshiping uh, false gods. They start building and, and cooking and boiling gold to make calves to worship instead of worshiping God. And so you have all of these issues, all of these problems. But through this, we see glimmers of hope. We see uh, glimmers of God overcoming the alienation between a broken people and his perfect self. He institutes animal sacrifices so that the, uh, the sin of the people can be atoned for, so that there can be a connection, at least uh, in part temporarily, between God and man. We see uh, the people build a temple so that they can um, have God's presence near them and with them, and so that the, the other nations can start to say, oh, that's what it is to know God. And we see these glimmers of hope, but they keep messing things up. They're a lot like us. They, something goes right, 10 things go wrong. Something goes right, 10 things goes wrong. So this is what we see over and over until the biggest act of redemption comes when Jesus Christ arrives. And what we see in the scriptures is that Jesus Christ is actually from the lineage of Abraham. That in Jesus, this promise to Abraham is fulfilled that Jesus is the one who overcomes the sin gap between us and God through his sacrifice so that by faith in Jesus, we are restored to God. The alienation is overcome and that good news goes to all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth, not just to one people in one place. So we see the fulfillment of Genesis 12 begin to happen through 
Jesus. Alienation removed, our charge of guilt paid by Christ. The mediator sent by the missionary God has arrived. And the last stage of the redemptive story is consummation. We don't dwell with God completely right now. The world is still broken by the effects of our sinfulness against God and each other. But a time is coming when Jesus will return. All people will give an account before God and God will renew the world. And all nations, all backgrounds will dwell under God's rule in a new heavens and new earth, which the Bible describes as the Garden of Eden 2.0, the Garden of Eden one up, the Garden of Eden, but better. And the picture of this is in uh, Revelation 22, one of the four chapters where everything is right in the Bible. Um, definitely get to know those four chapters. They're, they're really uplifting. Um, not that the rest isn't. The rest just looks like everything we do now. But the four that, that, ha- that are perfect are, 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 very, um, are very uplifting. Uh, this is what's described. I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. And God who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the end picture of God's work in redemptive history. That God, part of the mission that God is on is to renew this broken world so that we can live embodied lives in the presence of God with sin and brokenness gone, food, drink, life in the presence of God fully. So the mission of God is to renew this broken world and call a people to himself. For his own possession. You notice in this passage from Revelation, notice notice what it says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will be, or and they will be his what? His people. See, here here the same language from 1 Peter, right? A people for his own possession. God is gathering from all nations, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all cultures, people to be his, to be part of his family, to be in this renewed world that he's slowly unfolding over. Time, that God is going to erase the brokenness of life here and now and renew all things. That's the mission that God is on. That's the task that God is engaged in. That's the mission that the missionary God is fully devoted to. So this then brings us to help us understand what is the mission of God's people then? That's what God is doing. What are God's people to do in that story? Well, notice what First Peter uh, says in chapter 2. It says that we've been called into God's people for a purpose, that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, or him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's part of the mission of God's people. God's mission is to renew all things and call a people to himself for his own possession through the grace of Jesus. God is renewing the world, which is, which is pretty exciting. The mission that God gives to his people, God says, hey, Come be a part of this cosmic work. Come step into this renewal of all things that I'm working out by helping people move from being alienated from me to being a part of my family. And here's how we do that. We just tell about how God called us out of spiritual darkness into his grace by Jesus. 
That's about it. Peter says the way we participate in God's mission in the world, the mission of the church, is just talk about how awesome God is for calling you out of your dumbiness and bringing you into his grace. Tell how awesome and how great, how excellent this God is that brought you from rejecting Jesus to now understanding Jesus, from being blind to Jesus to now seeing Jesus. Do that. Says that's the work that the church gets to do. Among many other things, that's one of the primary works that the church gets to do. And do you hear what God is doing? God is calling us into his work of renewing all things through Jesus by inviting his people, the church, to say, hey, this is how great God is. This is what my life was. This is how I came to understand my sin and God's unending grace to Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing in my life right now. He loves me by grace, not by my performance. He can do the same thing for you. This is the good news. That's the work that the church gets called into. What I love about this is it doesn't require a PhD in the New Testament. Like, notice the language of this. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called what? You. You, Right? So, So there's a part of the work of the church that is so personal that you can only do your part in a particular way. The way God brought you to understand if you're a Christian, the gospel, the way God did that is going to be different from the way God did it in me. Only you can do your part. Only I can do my part. They're going to look similar, but only you can do that. Peter is saying, just tell about the grace of Jesus that you've received. And as you do that, we'll see what God does with the results. But as you do that, you are participating in God's cosmic work of renewing the world, of erasing brokenness and bringing things to full harmony the way they're meant to be. And here's what happens when we start to see this. When we start to see that that's the mission that God puts his people on, we start to see two things that pop up again in our minds in a fresh way. Here are the two things. When we start to see that the mission that God has called us on is to tell of the awesomeness of the God who had mercy on us through Jesus, we start to remember that we've received mercy. We start to remember that, oh yeah, at one point, I didn't know Jesus. And now I do. We start to be reminded of that. And do you know what happens when we're reminded of that? We begin to see that our identity isn't attached to the things that we do, which is one of the fundamental struggles of all people everywhere for all time. That as we participate in God's work and God's mission as the church, we get to be regrounded in terms of our identity and seeing that it belongs in God's grace, not in our performance at work, our performance in light of what culture says we ought to be at a certain age or in a certain place, or what our parents put on us, or what we put on us, or what our spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend puts on us, we start to see our identity is rooted in the good news that, oh yeah, I am accepted by the God of the universe through the work of Jesus. We get regrounded in the good news of the gospel, that we are God accepted. We are now priests with access and acceptance before God. I was reminded of how important this is and how needed this is by uh, listening to an interview um, with a, a really awesome UFC fighter, uh, Ronda Rousey. I don't know if anybody, did anybody see this, this interview that she gave recently? Um, I think it was on Ellen. 
Um, and she was speaking about her recent defeat um, to, I think, pretty much a no-name fighter. And she lost, and people were just blown out, blown away. Uh, I don't think she's ever lost before. And uh, in this interview, she talks about this is this is the like world champion woman's fighter that every person I've ever met is afraid of. Um, like a, an NBA star was like uh, a giant NBA star was like six eight, two hundred sixty pounds. Is like I. I I would never cross her in any way. Like, I was just like, she, I would just, whatever she tells me to do, I will do. She's just an incredible fighter. This is what she said after she lost, right? World champion lost once. This is what she said. She said in the hospital, she was, she was thinking this, what am I anymore if I'm not this? In that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? No one gives a bleep about me anymore because of this. This is a person who has achieved far more than uh, public accolades than we will all achieve combined, unless one of you are a secret UFC fighter that I don't know about. Probably Greg. Um, it's the crew cut. Get on your bad side. Please love me. Okay? Right? She's achieved far more than any of us will achieve in culture's eyes. Right? In, in, in acclaim, in awards combined. And with one fall, with one mess up, with one loss... She's talking about how she considered ending her life, and she's now understanding herself as this. What am I anymore if I don't have this title? She says, nobody will give a blank about me anymore because of this. It would be easy to look at her and say, how shallow, but do we not do the same thing all the time? And what God, the missionary God, is showing us, he's showing us that we have such an unshakable, secure identity in Jesus. Because understand this, it's not just, it's amazing, it's not just that Jesus has atoned for us to restore us to God and we're completely loved because of that. And nothing will ever change that. No ifs, ands, buts about it. It's complete. But we also have the added fact that God didn't do that reluctantly. We didn't have to con God into coming after us and having grace and mercy on us. We didn't have to beg God to say, God, accept me. God, forgive me. God, love me. God, delight in me. God, treat me as a treasure jewel. God said when we wanted nothing to do with him, I'm going to chase after them. God said, I'm a missionary. I'm going to run after them. That's how much I delight in them. That's how much I love humanity. That's how much I love my people. I'm going to chase after them full speed by sending Jesus to come and to redeem them. We have an unshakable identity through the gospel. It doesn't feel like that all the time, but that's truly what we have. An identity that can withstand the failures and the ups and the downs of life in a broken world. And that's what being on the mission of God reminds us of as we proclaim the good news of the gospel and what he's done in our lives. We're reminded again of how God sees us and how we are accepted by him. The other uh, blessing or the other double portion of awesomeness that we get through being a, being a, a understanding this mission that God puts us on is we get reminded of our identity in Jesus, but we also get reminded of, of our purpose. I, lo- I, love, I love this verse and I love the fact that Christianity says that your purpose in life runs so deep and is so significant, your career doesn't matter 
It matters, but it doesn't matter for your purpose. Your education matters, but it doesn't matter for your purpose in life. Your skills matter, but they don't matter for your purpose. Your uh, background matters, but it doesn't matter for your purpose. Through the gospel, we have cosmic purpose because God is inviting us into his work of renewal in the world. That God is renewing all things and he invites us to seat into the action. That he says, come, be a part of this movement that I'm doing to renew all things. Yeah, you matter enough that I'm going to put you on this team. Do you know what that means for your purpose? That means you could be a career uh, cashier at Nordstrom Rack for your whole life. That does not change God's view of how much purpose is embedded and real and deep in your life. I say this as somebody who worked at Nordstrom Rack for a number of summers and thought, what if I do this for the rest of my life? The gospel says purpose is embedded deep and real because it's not attached to my career. It's not attached to your education. It's not attached to your background. It's attached to the work and the story that God calls all people into through the grace of Jesus. Do you see how liberating that is? I remember talking with someone recently who... uh, as a uh, got a, her uh, MFA in creative writing, which is awesome, but then you tell people that, and they're like, "Oh, so what do you do?" I'm like I write poems in my journal that are not published, right? <laughs> right? And you're like, uh, "Thanks." So you just feel like Judd. You get that moment, right, where you tell somebody something, and they go, "Oh, right." You guys have had that <laughs> that moment. And so, so people who get create creative writing degrees, right, they get that a lot. You get that, oh, right. Or if you don't have any degree, people are like, "Oh, where'd you go to school?" Uh, Somerville High, you know, like whatever. And they're like, oh, right? And we get this sense of this pressure that, am I enough? Do I matter? Or do I at least matter to them? What the gospel says is that we matter because God has claimed us, God has had mercy on us, God has given grace to us, and we're invited into a purpose that matters across our lives, above and beyond our education, above and beyond career, above and beyond talent, above and beyond background, above and beyond the cleanliness of our lives. God wants you in his family, and then he wants you on his mission to love and care for the world. That's purpose. That's hope every morning. Even in the mundane routine of working at Nordstrom Rack or doing a job that you really hate or a job that doesn't utilize your gifts, the gospel says you've got purpose no matter what. You see the beauty of that? And so this call into God's mission gives us this double portion of blessing, this double portion of of excellency by showing us we have a new identity restored to God and we have purpose. We have a meaningful part to play in God's church as a part of God's work to renew the world and to call a people to himself through the good news of Jesus. I'm going to say more um, in a couple weeks about how we do this. Like, how, what does this actually look like? But I hope, I hope that we can get the scope and just get kind of the awesomeness of what God is calling us into. So, so let, me ask you, uh, let me ask you this. Do you understand the new identity that you have in Jesus, that is offered to you in Jesus? Or are you still attaching your identity to the things that you do, the things that you achieved, the things that you failed at, the things that you haven't got right. What about your purpose? Do you feel aimless? Do you feel like you're at a dead end because you you don't have this or you're not where culture says you should be by this age or, or, or this or that? Do you feel aimless without purpose? 
Because what God is telling us through his mission, the mission of the church and the truth of the gospel, is that in the season where you feel aimless, or you're at home with kids, or you're floundering in school, or you're in a job temporarily looking for the next thing on the ladder, you have purpose in Christ. And your purpose won't increase when you get the thing that you want, and it won't decrease if you lose the thing that you have. You have purpose in Christ now and for good. Do you live with the hope that comes from understanding that identity? Do you live with the hope that comes from understanding that purpose? Those are questions for us to think about. I want us to close uh, understanding this. Sometimes this idea of being invited into God's mission, the mission of the church, what God is doing in the world, it seems overwhelming. Sometimes it seems exciting, right? If we're honest, like, oh, cool, like I get to play a part in what God is doing. A lot of times it feels overwhelming, like, great, I got to play a part in God's, in God's work in the world, but I don't know how to balance my budget. How am I going to do that, right? It just feels too big. And I think a lot of times we can be overwhelmed with this, but, but the hope that, that pushes us through that sense of being overwhelmed is, is understanding this in the heart, that God sees us as his prized possession. That the God who made the Grand Canyon, the God who made the oceans, the God who made the the comets, the God who made the stars, the God who made the planets and the solar systems and the systems we don't know about, those are not his prized possessions. You are his prized possession in and through Christ. And when that begins to sink in, this idea of mission begins to feel less overwhelming and more exciting. They're going to be close to this God in the work that he's doing. So I want you to know this right now, through Christ, you are God's prized possession. Right now, in this season of life that you're in, maybe you feel spiritually dry. You are God's prized possession through Christ. Right now, if you're like, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. God is trying to get your attention so that you would trust Jesus and become his prized possession through Christ. That's what's offered to us all. And when this grace and this mercy that this missionary God wants to lavish on us, when it begins to become real, we begin to have an unshakable identity, a real deep and transcendent purpose. And then this invite into his mission begins to be a joyful work that we get to engage in together. But it flows and comes from the work of Jesus sent by the missionary God to come after us.